no day is the same. So I sort of shift gears from different mucosal pathologies to different sort of salivary gland neoplasms to dry mouth cases to artificial pain. So each day is really unique. And I, I love that sort of challenge. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Michelle Kane, a board registered oral medicine specialist. She's currently a staff specialist at Sydney Dental Hospital, a visiting dental specialist for Hunter New England Local Health District, and a senior lecturer and academic lead in oral medicine and oral pathology at Charles Sturt University. She's also working in private practices in Sydney and Newcastle. Before I crack open today's episode, I want to bring things back to our giving project. For those new here, last year, the Dental Head Start podcast made a commitment to donate our profits to a charity each month. This was to try and promote a culture of giving, both amongst our podcast listeners and hopefully to the greater dental community. We love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to spotlight someone or even spotlight yourself, please reach out to us on social media. So for this month and for last month, January and February of 2023, we are going to donate $2,000 to the ADA New South Wales Western Division Flood Relief. We've all certainly been impacted by the heavy rains and floods, particularly here on the east coast of Australia. It's important to recognize though that while the flood weather may finally be starting to ease off, so many of us and our patients are still being affected by these disasters. And we really need to try our best in preventing these kinds of floods in the future, as well as helping to rebuild. All right, team, it's time for our feature episode. So let, let's start from square one. When you first graduated dental school, how did you navigate the big wide world of dentistry? Yeah, look, great question. And I suppose many of perhaps the listeners will be, would have gone through this if not about to go through this process as well. I guess from my personal experience, I remember it being really exciting, but at the same time, pretty overwhelming and daunting at times because there's so many things that are are new and unknown. And I remember thinking that there are so many options to consider and even things like submitting applications for your first job, for example. For me personally, I remember thinking I had a lot of concerns and doubts about, is it the right decision? Am I doing this right? Is this going to be the right job for me? And perhaps with the beauty of hindsight, looking back and connecting the dots, and I've spoken with other colleagues and they sort of agree they went through similar reflections as well, that no matter where you end up, and perhaps as a new graduate, your first job, for example, you're going to learn something. You're going to gain skills in, in one way or another. So whether it's clinical skills or communication or you know meeting other colleagues or building connections. And speaking from personal experience, uh, working as a new graduate, I was really fortunate to have other new grads working with me. And also surrounded by senior dentists and many that became my mentors. And I guess the advantage of having other new grads that I work with is we were going through similar challenges and we could bounce ideas and sort of talk to each other and relate and sort of, you know, close doors. And we sort of kind of say, oh, look, today was a really tough day and sort of talk to each other and and be able to sort of, you know, understand what um, we were going through. And I guess with that, uh, another perhaps a message that I'd want to give out to sort of new graduates is to be kind to each other. And really, the new grads that you would be working with and your colleagues, they are essentially going to be your colleagues for the rest of your career. And I guess with that, also having a small group of colleagues that you can talk to without judgment. And 
I still have colleagues and friends to this day that I know that if I just have a tough case or if I have a tough day, I can just call them and say, mate, do, do you have two minutes? I, I just need to talk to someone. And they'll go, yep, no dramas. And, and we'd be able to talk to each other. So I think that, you know, that sort of having that support and, and building that sort of um, support network is really important. You mentioned having a good support network, but you graduated from the University of Otago and moved to Australia. Were you able to keep up that positive support network? Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess, you know, I essentially grew up in New Zealand and I did all my uni and undergraduate uni essentially at the University of Otago. And I guess I did um, start off as a clean slate in Australia. So I moved straight over to Australia. So I didn't actually end up working in, in New Zealand per se. And perhaps with that, it did. It was exciting, sort of moving to a new country, to a new place, new job. But it also perhaps came with challenges of, you know, having to build a sort of circle of friends and circle of colleagues from from the get go. So that took a bit of time, but I was really lucky in the place that I worked at the hospital. There were a big bunch of dentists that we all worked together. So I was able to, you know, build good friendships and good networks from there. Yeah, you said that you were exposed to a lot of different cases. Were there cases that you took on that inspired you to take on something like oral medicine? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think if you ask me the question or you tell me that I would become an oral medicine specialist when I'm a finally a dental student, I probably would have said, get out of here. That are you, are you serious? Like that's never come across my mind. And it really came down to the different cases and the different experiences that I gained as a sort of a new graduate and more senior um, general dentist that led me to oral medicine. And I guess one of the key experiences that I had was I saw my first oral cancer as a recent graduate dentist in Orange. So that was really eye-opening. So I remember, you know, a typical day in clinic, um, seeing my patients, and there was a visiting oral surgeon that stuck their head in my clinic and said, hey, Michelle, I think you need to come in and, and see this patient. They've, they've said, yes, um, you know, get over here. And I thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then I saw a floor of mouse squamous cell carcinoma. And I've never seen one before. Like, you know, you see pictures in textbooks and, and, you know, clinical photographs, but it was just unbelievable. Like being able to see it and, and palpate it and thinking this is real, like it's, it's in front of me. And from that case, I remember at a distance, I sort of followed through how the patient went and spoke to the surgeon and just checking in um, what happened to the patient and got to follow their journey at a distance with, you know, urgent referral to a um, head and neck multidisciplinary clinic back in Sydney. And apparently the patient had a holiday book that was coming up and the surgeon said, mate, I think you need to cancel the holiday because this is pretty urgent. So that was one of the key experiences. And I guess from there, I took on board different positions and I ended up moving back in Sydney. And I guess just the year prior to starting specialist training, um, I had an opportunity to work as a dental officer at a particular hospital in Sydney where the same unit, we had oral and maxillofacial surgeons working alongside as well. So I sort of was, you know, sort of a 
really curious and a human sponge. And I sort of spoke to the surgeon and said, look, if there's something interesting, can I pop in? Like, can I please observe? And they were very gracious enough to say yes. So I got to see a huge range of head and neck pathologies for adults and children. And I got an experience in managing sort of inpatients in hospital settings and doing a bit of on-call. All of that sort of led me to really being interested in oral medicine. Another key experience in that year was I worked um, t- as a part of a multidisciplinary clinic for head and neck um, sort of pathologies and cancers. So I got a chance to work with different medical and allied health teams. So it gave me a real insight into working as a team in a clinical setting. And I found that hugely rewarding. And an, a big thing um, with oral medicine is we do a lot of sort of collaborative work with different specialties. And I find that really, really really exciting. So here I am in oral medicine. As a new grad, I had to register with an indemnity insurer in order to practice and having loads of options didn't make that any easier. When I came across Dental Protection Limited, they made it easy for me to sign up with them with their streamlined registration process and they also had heaps of added bonuses for signing up like webinar events, workshops and various online learning. Dentistry is hard, and the stress of patient complaints can add to the everyday stress. Knowing I have DPL behind me every step of the way makes me feel confident stepping into work. If you want to feel like someone has your back going into work, you should give DPL a chance and discover what they can do for you. Yeah, wow. I I thought it was interesting you talked about how experience of actually seeing a oral squamous cell carcinoma and you know as as a dental student studying um oral pathology you can't memorize the one photo uh over and over again until it doesn't quite hit until you see it in person i suppose and as an oral medicine specialist would you give any advice as to the first time you see something like that in a patient how do you go about managing the patient yeah absolutely so i guess if we think about sort of oral cancers or something that looks really weird or suspicious. I mean, you sort of almost, you know, see the clinical signs, but almost get a gut feeling of, oh, this is, this does not look great. Fundamentals, you know, understanding the red flags, sort of the clinical sort of signs that you would see. I think it's important that you do understand that from a theoretical sort of perspective. So I guess with my students that I teach, we talk about the things we look at in terms of how their lesion sort of looks, um, in terms of different colours and and also texture sort of feeling. So thinking, you know, induration, fixation, like those are sort of the clinical clues that you want to pick up on. and. I guess in many ways, it's better to be safe than sorry, I feel. So if you feel something is not right and, you know, critically, if you're not sure what it is, you know, put up a red flag, tell your patient in terms of, you know, you've done a good, really good skin exam around your mouth and you found something and, you know, be able to communicate with patients verbally or even say with clinical photos. And so the patient can see themselves what you see and, you know, say that, you know, I'm not quite sure what this is, but there are enough things that I think we should really get you into. see someone that can investigate further, such as a specialist. So being able to convey that to your patients and also knowing when are perhaps the time points that you want to raise a red flag and go, right, I think this patient does need sort of management, potentially urgent. And also from that perspective, you know, 
don't be afraid to reach out. If you're unsure about something or if you're really worried, speak with senior clinicians, speak with specialists around you. And I guess wherever you practice, you know, you'll end up finding who are the go-to people around you, around your clinic and your patients, whether it's, you know, different sort of senior clinicians or specific specialists that are sort of the go-to people and, and sort of know who they are and don't be afraid to reach out. And more often than not, we're very happy to help. And if you feel that something is urgent, don't be afraid to, you know, mention that, say, in your referral or even sort of give us a call and say, hey, I've seen this. Could you guide me through it? I think this is really concerning. And again, we are you know, more often than not, we are more than happy to help. Excellent. Excellent. You mentioned that you were at Westmead Hospital, but you also worked a bit at Orange Base Hospital. Could you explore a bit the different contrasts and cases that you might have seen between metropolitan and rural practice? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, you know, talking from my experience, I guess starting with metropolitan, typically it's a larger sort of population that you'd see. And with that, comes a wide range of patients from various different backgrounds. Another thing is um, for lots of other, you know, where you're sort of practicing, chances are there are a lot of other clinicians or specialists that are practicing around you. So perhaps at times it would be easier for patients to sort of access care in terms of travel to see other sort of clinicians or specialists. Working in rural practice, it was generally a smaller population that you would be working or serving for as a clinician. And I found that there were fairly close-knit communities. And I remember sort of, you know, doing, you know, having a day of clinic and then I'd go and get groceries and chances are I bump into a patient in town. So there are a lot of those sort of experiences, um, which I personally really, really enjoyed. And overarchingly, patients were incredibly lovely when I was working in sort of Orange and a bit of Bathurst as well. So patients were really understanding and supportive. They, they knew I was a new graduate clinician. And over time, it really helped build my confidence in my clinical skills and being able to communicate. And, I, and another aspect, difference. That I found with regional and metropolitan was access to care, which I touched on. So it can be challenging for a lot of patients in regional communities, but also as a clinician working in a regional practice and knowing that patients have barriers to care and they may need to travel long distances. And I guess as a regional general dentist and a new grad, it put me in a position where I had to manage a wide range of cases. And be quite confident with my clinical decision, um, including, you know, when I make the recommendation to patients saying that, look, you know, I've done ABC, but I really think that we need to refer you or, you know, get you to see another sort of professional or a specialist. And over time, I felt it made me into a lot, like, a much more confident clinician and very sort of feeling very comfortable with, I guess, my scope of practice. And, and, and I suppose from that, with having worked in regional communities, it was really eye-opening for me because it really shaped one of my personal professional goals was sort of going into specialist training. I thought, look, once I get to the end of training, I want to be able to contribute in some way with improving access to clinical care and especially specialist care for patients that are in regional communities. And I suppose perhaps for our sort of recent graduates or to be sort of graduates and colleagues that are listening out there, a piece of advice would be to, you know, be fairly open with working in different locations and different environments, and you will gain a huge range of experiences and skills. And I feel that over time, wherever you work, it will only make you 
into a more confident and, and stronger clinician. You mentioned how access to care is quite difficult, particularly in a field like oral medicine. What kind of considerations should a regional dentist have? I do see a you know a range of patients from different locations, including regional locations. And perhaps an example that I could give is my role as visiting specialist for Hunter New England. So it has made things a bit easier, perhaps, for patients to access oral medicine services and sort of hunt in New England and I'm based at Newcastle, but at the same time, I still have plenty of patients that have to travel hours to see me. And I guess I can speak from a clinician's point of view where I'm very conscious of how far patients need to travel at times. And one of the things that I try to do as a clinician is before the patient walks in the door, I gather as much information that I can. As a referring practitioner, that's really helpful where sort of if I can get as much inf- sort of things like clinical photos, um, having a full medical history with all, all the medical conditions, all the patient sort of medications, and if they've had any investigations, things like radiographs or, you know, blood test results, all of those things, the more information that I get as a specialist, the better so that I, by the time the patient walks into the door, I can maximize what I can provide to them on the day. And I've sort of formed that clinic in a way that I'm very fortunate that my referring clinicians, they give me pretty much all of that information as much as that they can. And if I say, for example, um, sort of anticipate that, look, I may need to do a procedure like a biopsy as part of investigation for this patient, I can pretty much plan out that I if it's appropriate, I can do it for the patient on the same day. So they sort of walk in, they meet me, I sort of have all the information ready, I go through, you know, the typical sort of patient history, medical history, do an examination, and then sort of do as much as I can in that one visit for the patient. So that's sort of the things that I've adapted with my um, clinical practice, especially when I see regional, regional patients, yeah. And I guess another aspect of what I do is I've had times where regional clinicians have said, look, can I please, if they want to chat with me about um, cases, which is absolutely fine. And, you know, I've had, you know, Zoom chats, phone calls from clinicians where they sort of talk to me about a case. And, you know, if I can give them advice or point them in the right direction over the phone, I sort of try to do that for them. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of challenges for patients, but I guess my key message is don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help as a regional practitioner, you are certainly not alone. As much as there may not be immediate colleagues and specialists immediately around you from a geographical point of view, if you do reach out to someone that may be further, chances are they will help you and chances are they may be able to find ways that from a you know local perspective that there may be other people nearby you and nearby your patient that may be able to help. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall and at the end you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. 
In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. You've talked about your experience as a dental practitioner. How was the transition into oral medicine? Yeah, look, I, I guess there are certain differences. As a general dentist, there are certainly a wide range of different sort of things that, that you could do. And for me, I did a lot of big focus on sort of clinical work. So working, you know, in different sort of metropolitan regional clinics, both private and public, got a little taste of teaching. So worked as a clinical tutor at Charles State University, which was a lot of fun. And I guess, you know, wearing the different hats, that's certainly applicable in oral medicine as, as well. So I do the same sort of clinical work and that takes up majority of, of my week. So I work in public and private clinics in both Sydney and Newcastle. And then another part of my week, I wear my sort of academic hat. So I work as a senior lecturer and sort of academic lead in oral med and oral pathology at CSU. So similarities, but differences with clinic, it's Structure-wise, it's fairly similar where there's sort of fixed time where I generally, most of my clinics generally start at around 8 a.m. And as I did as a dentist, habits die hard, but I think it's a good habit I picked up. I personally like to arrive a bit earlier before my day starts. So I can look through my sort of day, know what sort of cases are going to walk through my door, and I just get an idea of the patients that will come. And I make sure that, hey, look, this patient's coming back. Are the biopsy results ready? Do I have all the imaging, histopathy? path results and just be prepared for the appointment. Perhaps a difference in when, as I work as an oral medicine specialist is my day typically shifts a lot throughout the day. So whether there's sort of urgent cases, if I have like, say, a cancer that walks through the door or I get phone calls from various colleagues or say pharmacists asking about sort of scripts. So like I'm very used to getting some interruptions throughout my day, which for me, it's expected. So as part of my specialty training, we are like we we do get training on being able to manage and triage cases on the spot. So um, oh, being spontaneous just sounds like a nightmare to me. Yeah, I know. And look, <laughs> it took um, a big it, it, it was a big transition where perhaps, you know, very generalized point of view, perhaps. But I think a lot of us in dentistry we are very, we are perfectionists. And I think we like to sort of be on time and be very sort of accurate. And and we have that tendency. So in my specialty training, it took a lot to break out of that. But also, I'm very grateful that as hectic as it was, it taught me to be able to juggle my day and be able to prioritize immediately what what is it like most important and, and move my day along. So that I guess that's a point of difference for me in my personal experience as an oral medicine specialist. And by having a rough idea of what my day is going to be, I get a sense of, okay, well, what can I move around in my day to to make things work? And before the clinical day starts, I'd say hello and good day to my nurses and my support staff. So I quickly run through my day so that everybody in the team knows what to expect and they can get instruments and paperwork as much as we can just ready in advance. So it's certainly a big teamwork, which I guess 
there's a correlation there with dentistry as well. I, I feel that's a teamwork as well. I guess in terms of range of cases, I do find that as an oral medicine specialist, I, the thing that I love is I get a wide range of cases. So no day is the same. So I sort of shift gears from different mucosal pathologies to different sort of salivary gland neoplasms to dry mouth cases to orofacial pain. So each day is really unique. And I, I love that sort of challenge. And another thing that I've been really fortunate to be able to do in one of my sort of public positions is run joint multidisciplinary sort of clinics. So for example, I am part of a pediatric dentistry and oral medicine sort of joint clinic where, you know, once once in a while we have patients that are booked and, and they are booked in multiple chairs. So I move between chairs and I sort of work with my pediatric dental specialist colleagues and we jointly assess and manage cases. So that's really fun. And I personally enjoy seeing children. I think I'm, you know, sort of immature at heart, so I can relate a lot to to a lot of my patients. And also there's a wide range of really sort of interesting conditions that we can see in our pediatric population. And in terms of communication and management, it it is it can be quite different compared to our adult patients. So I learned so much from my pediatric dental colleagues. And at times I feel like I sort of, you know, take the cake where they do a lot of the hard work with communication management. I come in and swoop in it. I feel like it that happens at times, but I'm very grateful with who I work with. Another multidisciplinary clinic that I do is with my oral pathologist at one of the hospitals. So every fortnight there's sort of an hour where I sit down with the oral pathologist. We actually go through histopathology slides together of cases that I've seen and I've done the biopsy. So in many ways, I get to assess the quality of my biopsy. So at times it can be quite humbling, but it's good to sort of self-reflect. But also we get to discuss cases. And more often than not, there are little clues that we can look for together under a digital microscope. And it can guide the management that I provide for patients. So there are a lot of these sort of collaborative clinics and meetings that I really, really enjoy in, in the day-to-day um, as an oral medicine specialist. And I guess finally, there's the teaching aspect. And at, as my role, I'm both in clinic and also sort of in academia, I do have involvement with specialist trainees and different dental students and recent sort of graduates. And there are some that have contacted me to observe, which is fantastic. So they've sat in with me in, in clinic and just sort of seen my day to day. And it's you know lovely to be able to see cases together and be able to sort of discuss cases after appointments and for me big part of what i love about teaching is literally seeing the light bulb go off when we talk about a concept where i sort of watch you know the other person that i'm talking to their faces almost light up and they have a eureka moment and those are the types of things that make teaching really worthwhile for me yeah no that definitely happened a few times i think uh, <laughs> Whether you're a new grad or an experienced clinician, there comes a point where our passion wanes and we lack direction and motivation for our profession. At some point, we all need a little bit of inspiration, something that helps take us to the next level. Presenting the Dental Summit 2023. Two whole days of incredible lectures from Australia's greatest CPD providers held at the Shangri-La Hotel in Sydney, followed by a cocktail night to remember so you can make those connections and network with like-minded dentists. So, in 2023, invest in yourself. Visit the webpage www.tds23.com to purchase tickets for September 1st and 2nd. And you can use our discount code DHS10 to get 10% off your ticket purchase.
what advice would you give to people wanting to get into a field like oral medicine and explore those kind of fields as well? Sure. So bits of advice that I could give is if you do have some interest in oral medicine, first of all, fantastic. (laughs) And I'd say, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to oral medicine specialists. And more often than not, we're more than happy to chat. And I've had many a coffee chats and Zoom chats and in-person chats over the years. And I think it's important to find out more about what's involved in that specialty and including, you know, what happens on a day-to-day basis. And certainly in those conversations, I've hopefully helped clarify for the other person who's interested in oral medicine, you know, to clarify their thinking and figure out, well, what are they interested in? How does that apply to the specialty? So I think sort of having that conversation, reaching out to the specialist, it's pretty important. Also, do try to observe oral medicine clinics in different settings. So try to visit clinics and based in hospitals, based in private practice, and get a sense of what happens on a typical day. And, you know, does this meet your expectations? Does it fit with your interests? And can you envision yourself doing that on a day-to-day basis? I think that's really important. And also when it comes to specialty training, do your research on the different units and different universities that do offer the training program speak with the specialists that are teaching as part of the program as well as the current trainees or registrars also with that research I think it's important to find out about different strengths of different programs and see how that aligns with what you may be interested in also other requirements can include the primaries examination as part of the Royal Australasian College of Dental um, Surgeons so if you're thinking about applying for Um, one of the specialty programs in Australasia, do check that requirement. So my understanding is a lot of the programs, there would be an expectation you would have done your primaries, if not strongly recommended. So I would double check that. And also uh, research experience. So it is ideal for a lot of these programs, understanding that research is a part of your specialty training, that it is ideal to have some experience under your belt in form of research experience or um, certainly publications. And also, you know, going into a training program, I think it's worthwhile starting to think about, well, what are the types of questions that you'd be interested in exploring as part as form of a, a research question? So I think those are the things worthwhile thinking about. I think when people talk about going into specialty pathways, they they bring up the topic of research, but does it necessarily have to be in a dentistry research topic or is it can it be a broader field of research? And something like oral medicine, I could see something like just the broad scoping pathology. Would you have any advice on research in general? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's hard for me to answer because I guess it may depend on specific programs, specific universities, perhaps. If I can speak on my experience, I had a little taster of research experience. It certainly wasn't within the field of oral medicine or pathology. So I don't think there was necessarily an expectation with my application process um, of having needed experience in your field, but certainly I can see advantages perhaps if, if you have had that. But I guess with the research experience, there's different aspects of being able to, you know, form a question and being able to complete a project and, you know, 
ideally sort of be able to generate a publication. And, you know, if you have familiarity with that process, I think it does put you in, you know, pretty good stead because that certainly, you know, was certainly a big uh, a part of requirement for my training, um, specialty training. And I do think that is a part of a lot of the training programs. So I'd, I'd almost say that if you, you'd want to almost check in with, if there are particular programs at particular universities or institutions that you're interested in, have a chat with the people that are teaching that program and get a bit of advice from them as well. That that may put you in good stead. Yeah. I suppose if there's any final words you want to end on, I guess tips or advice, you've mentioned briefly to have this kind of good support network. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to you know future or current colleagues, a couple of things that I'd like to convey is dentistry is a really exciting career and there are a wide range of options that you can go with dentistry. So there's the obvious sort of clinical pathway, but you also have an opportunity for, you know, business if you, you know, run your own practice, for example, or like Hayden here where there's podcasting, like the the world is your oyster. There's so many things. And if you like teaching, there's academia. So there are a wide range of options. And I guess one of the other key things that I like to convey is to stay curious. And I always tell, you know, sort of junior colleagues, just stay a human sponge, just be open to different opportunities that present to you along your career and as I mentioned earlier I would have never guessed I would have become an oral medicine specialist sort of at the start of my dentistry career if not as a dental student but I think it helps to just stay open-minded you know don't be afraid to try new things and try you know sort of be open to different opportunities so working in different locations metropolitan rural hospital private you name it and I suppose the other thing with that is don't be afraid to approach people. And I have to say that I'm very much an introvert at heart. It's not the easiest thing for me at times, but I guess for me personally, I was driven by the curiosity. So at times I'd almost look back and go, oh my gosh, like how did I end up doing this? But I'd sort of end up finding myself approaching people about things that I'm curious about and want to know more. And if you sort of show your enthusiasm, chances are that you will come across people or perhaps new mentors that are happy to share their experience with you. And I guess an example um, that I can give is as part of my role as a dentist in a head and neck multidisciplinary clinic, I got a chance to work with lots of different um, clinicians, allied health, you know, medical specialists, you name it. And I remember sort of working with a really lovely radiation oncologist. So they're medical specialists that are part of delivering radiation therapy. And I remember just chatting with them about a case one day. And I just said, I kind of want to know what you do. Can I just spend a morning in clinic with you? Can I just observe you? And this is me coming as a general dentist where Clearly, it's not, there isn't a direct link with radiation oncology, but the specialist said, Yeah, of course, yeah, come in. And I got a chance just to sit in and watch and listen. And it gave me a huge insight into what they do. So it's not just head and neck, but there are so many other conditions and pathologies that radiation oncologists are, you know, they're part of in terms of management. And for me, then back, you know, when I sort of, in my role as a dentist, it gave me a better understanding when I talk to my patients. And if they mention, say, 
you know, in their medical history, they say, look, I'm about to start radiation therapy. Then I have a real life experience and knowledge of, oh, I know what's involved. Like, I know that there is planning, there's there's um, not just radiation oncologists, but there are radiation therapists, there are physicists, there's a huge team involved. Um, I know about like different ways that it can be delivered, different machines and, you know, how often patients may have to travel to receive radiation therapy. So, you know, just stay that curious sponge, just stay curious. I, I think that's sort of a message. And, you know, another thing I feel it's important is to be kind to those around you, including and especially your colleagues. As I mentioned earlier, these will be your workmates for the rest of your career. And everybody, I feel they're on their own journey. And, you know, I'm certainly sort of, this has happened to me many a times where often that you may feel you get swayed when you see other colleagues or other sort of people sort of, you watch what they're doing and you think, oh, that's awesome. But am I doing enough in terms of, you know, my career, my pathway, but never forget that you are actually your own person and you are on your own journey. And I feel that all of us, very broadly speaking, we're ultimately aiming towards what makes us happy as our own self and own sort of professional being. So I, I do feel that it's it's important to keep that in mind. And as I mentioned earlier, I can't stress this enough, have colleagues, have friends around you where you can dial a friend and be that friend for other people too. So, you know, throughout my career, like I said, I have friends that I have, I can just call and just at times I almost say, look, I have a stupid question. Can I talk to you for two minutes? And they reply with, there's never a stupid question. But and when we sort of talk through cases and I'm happy to be that person for other colleagues as well. So just do have, you know, try to have that sort of group or at least those colleagues around you. And last but not least, don't be afraid to reach out if you feel stuck, whether it's a clinical case or, you know, different journeys or aspects of your career or even just in your personal life. And you'd find that more often than not, people are happy to chat with you at least being a lis listening ear or even give advice and chances are they may be going through the same thing or they may have gone through a similar experience and they may be able to point you in the right direction as well so don't be afraid to talk to other people and reach out thank you so much for listening to the dental head start podcast i genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist so if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.